You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is August 18th, and in a game that the Five Stripes had to absolutely win because it was a home game, because they're trying to walk down six teams ahead of them to grab the final playoff spot, they were beaten 2-1 by Red Bulls in a game in which it, they really just weren't competitive for most of the game, in my opinion. They had a bright opening 10 minutes, then Red Bull scored once, then Red Bull scored twice, then Atlanta United didn't score until the 94th minute when Joseph Martinez bagged his 100th goal in MLS regular season and playoff appearances. He did it faster than anyone else on MLS history. You can read more about that on my Twitter or Facebook feeds at Doug Robertson AJC and Atlanta United News Now. We're going to go into some of the uh, recap of the game followed by audio from y'all. Y'all filled up the voicemail box. Uh, thank you for doing that. I thought y'all would have fun with that. We're going to go into questions sent in via email, questions sent in via Twitter. Before all that, you'll hear from Gonzalo Pineda, Brooks Lennon, and Joseph Martinez. And because I had a late night and it's an early morning, I'm bringing back coffee sips for this podcast. So here's your first coffee sip. Mm. That was good. I hope you're enjoying your coffee on this miserable morning. This feels like a hangover, but I didn't drink anything last night morning after watching last night's game. So, Lewis Morgan opened the scoring for Red Bulls in the 11th minute, followed by John Tolkien in the 15th minute. Both goals were the same mistakes that this team has made all season. They just made them against Cincinnati. The first goal by Lewis Morgan Started with a turnover and Atlanta United's half of the field by Luis Araujo. Kyle Duncan beat two Atlanta United players to put in a cross. It was deflected by Cacieras to a wide-open Morgan, an unmarked Morgan, the team's leading scorer who already had double-digit goals for an easy shot. Boom. Four minutes later, set piece, a corner kick. It, they did a short corner. Nobody pressured Tolkien. He put in kind of a left-footed cross-slash shot. Klamala kind of made it difficult for Rios Novo to figure out what he was going to do by jumping at the ball that went right over his head and into the opposite corner for the 10th set-piece goal allowed by Atlanta United this season. That's 10 set-piece goals with nine games remaining. It's it's just not good. Um, 
Joseph Martinez scored in the 94th minute, as I mentioned earlier, for his 100th goal. Really, the rest of the stats I don't think matter a whole lot. And so we're going to go into the audio from Gonzalo Pineda. And really, the only two questions that I think were important after this game, I asked Pineda, how do you explain the team's performance in the first half? Because after that Red Bulls goal, all that energy, all that verve that you saw in the opening 10 minutes just disappeared. It's a problem all season. And what hope can he give supporters that this team can fight and make the playoffs? Well, the first question I felt that uh, was two parts. One, the first 10 minutes of the game where we start to put a lot of pressure. We start to get numbers uh, in the final third and we had a good start. And then we concede a silly goal, in my opinion, and then we start to go down mentally and we couldn't even connect certain passes and we start to to not to be as proactive as we started the game. Um, and then we concede the second one in a set piece and then it's almost like a, a lot of, uh, I don't know, not a lot of motivation there to just connect the passes and go forward and there so we, we, lost, we lost a little bit the control of the game. Uh, I think that the second half was all ours. I felt like we were dominating the whole second half and we were on the front foot, but probably we couldn't find the right uh, amount of quality in the final third because we were all over them, but we couldn't really, really create uh, valuable chances. And the few that we got, we, did, we missed. So uh, that was the game. Uh, the other one for me is just, again, we scored a goal at the end of the game and the, the team never quit. The team continued fighting, competing and going for the goals. Even the last minute we tried with the set piece. I mean, uh, the team is going to fight till the end. That's what I can say. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on that, about this constant message about dominating large portions of the game. I've heard it I don't know how many times this season. Uh, we heard it under Heinze. We heard it under DeBoer. This possession, this idea that possession somehow results in goals. Obviously, you can't shoot. You can't score if you don't have the ball. But what should also be factored into this thinking is typically teams have the lead. Typically, teams know from the first half or the first however many minutes that Atlanta United is not going to be able to break them down. So they can just sit in a block, wait and wait and wait and counter. Or Atlanta United might get a goal, but the odds of it happening again typically aren't good. And this is the more concerning thing. This is what I find fascinating. The Red Bulls had 27% of the possession. They ended up with more shots than Atlanta United, which had 73% of the possession, 13 to 12 more shots, the same number of shots on target, which is just crazy, and a higher expected goals. So really, who was controlling who? Who was dominating who? Because possession is pointless unless you're actually able to turn it into chances created and big chances created. And Atlanta does create chances, but they're not big chances. They're not quality chances. You saw, you know, just shot after shot going over the bar from long distance. And Atlanta United is one of the league leaders in taking shots from outside the penalty box. Uh, 
it's I don't I understand why that messaging keeps getting put out, but I don't agree with it at this point. I followed by asking Pineda, why does the team's confidence seem to drop off after conceding? Because this has been a problem all season. They are professional athletes. They know the importance of this game. They know they can't drop off, but they did anyway. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's normal. I mean, imagine all the motivation you have into this game. You are you are trying to do everything right. In the first few minutes, you are more dominant. You are trying to get the chances that you want, and then you concede certain goals like that. And sometimes, you know, we are humans, and I understand the players at times thinking still in those two goals, and now we have to come back again. And those lapses of moments, like, uh, took us a while to, to come back into the game. Uh, but, I mean... Is part of what we always say: the goals, the change games. Los, los goles cambian los partidos, and I think today those goals changed the momentum of the team, and and that didn't help to, to that mood. Uh, but again, we have to do better there. I agree with you. We have to come back. The response now is very important, and come back with Columbus. And I know this one will bring the team a little bit down. We need to do that today, and then tomorrow we'll come back strong and and try to put a very good. Uh, game plan, good uh, good training sessions, and then good lineup for, for Columbus. Atlanta United is 1-7-4 and four on the road this season. To think that it's going to go to Columbus and win is not likely. Columbus is 5-4-3 and three at home. It is above the playoff line. Atlanta United does not perform well against teams above the playoff line. It hasn't for the past two seasons. It's it's going to be tough. Pineda was asked about Joseph Martinez. Why why start him? And what did he think of his performance? Well, uh, the idea was we needed goals. And, and we know Joseph can certainly score goals. We, we tried to put more natural wingers at the beginning with Ronaldo on the right side and, and, and Luis on the left trying to stretch them in behind. We did a few times but probably not as often as I was expecting and then the movement of Joseph at times when he tries to stretch the line but also when he drops and he did that a couple of times and it was dangerous when, when he was able to receive the ball in between the lines and connect and then on balance in behind. So that was kind of the thought in behind. and. Uh, and And I mean, that's it pretty much. And then Pineda was asked, how do you recover from this and try to get back in the playoff race? To recap where the team is right now, because there are so many teams bunched near the bottom of the table, they're kind of devouring themselves. So miraculously, Atlanta United is still only four points out of a playoff spot. Orlando is now the seventh team with 33 points, but Atlanta United does not have a game in hand. The problem for Atlanta United is Orlando's playing well, Miami's playing well, Cincinnati's playing well, Charlotte won last night, Toronto lost but is playing well, Chicago was on a streak. It's got to hope that all those teams drop points, a lot of points, and it makes up a lot of points. It's it's going to be tough to do, but here's Pineda. Well, uh, just as I said, the response is not very important. Obviously, we are not in a good position. Today could have been that game that put us in a good position. Now, 
the opposite thing happen. And again, that's the response that I'm expecting from all of us to come back, be strong, and uh, and try to 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 fight till the end. Uh, that's that's the only possible solution and outcome that I expect from all of us in the club is, is to be strong, to be together. We we praise ourselves for being a family, and families are together in the, in this moment. So we need to come back like that, try to fight, compete again, and try to go to win three points away. There weren't a lot of players in the locker room by the time we got in there, um, for reasons that are obvious. But Brooks Lennon uh, agreed to talk, so you know that shows his character. First question I asked uh, Lennon was, "Why does the intensity seem to continue to drop after the team gives up goals?" Yeah, it's never good to you know go down two two goals, um, you know, really early on in a in a game. Um, you know, this is one of the biggest games of our season at home and you know to go down 2-0 in the first 20 minutes um you know is is, is definitely a shock um not the way you know you want to you want to start such an important game but um i think the coach you know touched on it late that uh you know he was proud of us for for fighting to the end you know get grabbing a goal back late on and um yeah just just fighting as much as possible but we just can't um you know come out flat-footed because this is what's going to happen Lennon was next asked, how do you recover to get three points back? Yeah, I think the coach, you know, mentioned it after the game is we need to make up the points we lost tonight on Sunday. And that's kind of a must win game uh, for us on the road. Um, and yeah, we're going to continue to to push and, uh, you know, never give up. All right. Joseph agreed to talk because, uh, you know, he did score his 100th goal. We're going to get his sound right after I take a coffee sip. Mm. Muy delicioso. Asked Joseph if it was disappointing that the team didn't seem to have a reaction after Red Bulls took a lead. It's not the first time we've been losing 2-0. It's not the first time we've had a bad result in the early minutes. But we've also got to understand there's another team we're facing. But there's another team that's training. There's another team that's trying to win the game. Um, and the team that starts on the right foot is, is usually the team that gets a three points. So this is a sport uh, we know that can happen. And... Yeah, they, they have a way of playing, and, and they did it. That was an interesting reaction, I thought, from Joseph. And I want to get into a stat really quick about Atlanta United in its history when it scores first compared to when the opponent scores first. Because I tweet this out every game as the records pile up or as the, the stats pile up. When Atlanta United scores first in franchise history, it is 74 13 and 18, which is a fantastic stat for the team, a credit to the team. When it concedes first, it is now 6 47 and 16, which is a stunning, stunning number considering how much money this team has spent on attacking talent and the ability to score goals. Back to the audio. Joseph was asked about what is missing in the offense. What is the little thing that can result in more goals. Say it's a great quote. If, uh, if my if my mother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. But. The beginning of his answer was about how it's getting harder to score goals in Major League Soccer. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And then I asked Joseph, with nine games remaining, what's the hope for supporters about fixing these mistakes? Well, we've been suffering since the first game. It's it's not the first time. Well, we have to keep fighting. Uh, we can't give up hope. You look at last year, we were we were down and we were able to respond and make the playoffs. So 
uh, there's games remaining. We can't give up hope. Um, you know, there's there's still time. And then I followed up by Joseph what he meant by suffering. You know exactly what, what he say. We suffer a lot of injury. We mm -hmm. suffer a lot of points. So it's not new for you, I think. That wasn't antagonistic if you're curious about that. Um, I just wanted to make sure I knew exactly what Joseph was talking about when he said suffering. And he explained it. And I appreciate that. All right, we're going to go to a break and we're going to come back with a very, very long mailbag. Uh, I want to tell y'all that um, we'll also be taping a podcast Friday afternoon to preview the Columbus game. And it's going to feature a special guest, Michael Collins of ESPN Plus. The Tour Championship is coming to Atlanta next week. Michael Collins covers golf for ESPN Plus. He has a, a show on ESPN Plus called America's Caddy that Brad Guzan uh, will be included in a segment that's going to air either Sunday or Monday on ESPN Plus. He attended his very first soccer game ever when he came to the Atlanta United Atlanta United Seattle match and came back last night to watch the team again. So look for that tomorrow. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. We're going to start with questions that were sent into the mailbag. The phone number for the mailbag is 770-810-5297, 770-810-5297. Now to explain the mailbag, we use the same number for a lot of different podcasts. So if you call in with an Atlanta United question, but you hear a different intro, like if it's for uh, the political podcast or something else, just go ahead and leave your question. It will get to me and it will be answered on the podcast. I just want to give you all a heads up about that because this is a very new thing uh, only one person participated after the Cincinnati game, but a lot of y'all participated after this game, and we appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's just an easy way for y'all to ask questions about the team that you care about. So the first caller didn't leave his name, but he asked, and this is a very interesting question, should we have ever fired Frank DeBoer? Hey, Doug. So while I sat at the bins and watched this debacle, I had a totally different rant cooked up for you. But after a peaceful murder ride home, I've got a more specific and sober question. Should we have ever fired Frank DeBoer? 
At the time, I was 100,000% behind it. I was very proud that at least one of my teams that I pulled for did not settle for mediocrity or boring play. Um, We made a stand, and we went for greatness. But now I'm kind of wondering if we shouldn't have done that. What do you think? It's a very interesting question. I know a lot of y'all didn't like Frank DeBoer, but... I need to remind you that he is the last Atlanta United manager to win trophies. Campionas Cup, U.S. Open Cup. You saw that he was then trying to coach a team that didn't have its best player, Joseph Martinez, because he suffered an injury against Nashville. I think we now know that there were a few players on that team that probably weren't listening to the tactics that DeBoer was trying to implement. Now, I don't always agree with his tactics. I don't always agree with every manager's tactics for every game. But we've now seen it with Heinze. We've now seen it with Stephen Glass. We've now seen it with Gonzalo Pineda that it looks to me like this team has trouble, the players on this team have trouble executing tactics. So either the players that are being signed don't fit the tactics, which means the scouting model needs to be changed. Or the players aren't listening. And I have a hard time believing that the players aren't listening. They are professional athletes. They do care. They do want to win. I think that maybe the scouting model to play this possession-based, build-from-the-back style soccer needs to be tweaked to find different types of players who are able to execute that. All right, Austin has two questions. I am a uh, very frustrated Atlanta United fan at the moment. Um, but, Doug, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to call in and ask questions that you answer on your podcast. First question is, what do you think we do with Joseph next season? I mean, I've, I've watched him for the last couple months continue to make extremely poor decisions, try to be cute and pretty with back hills and dummies, just, you know, not have that intensity that we were used to back in 2017 to 2019. Um, in, in my opinion, I think it would really set back the club if we keep them for next season. This is a question that is being asked a lot right now. I, I do agree with you that he's kind of fallen in love with these dummies and these flick passes. Strikers want the ball. Informed, confident strikers want the ball. And he seems to be actively trying to avoid the ball. Most cases, not all cases, but most cases. Now, what do you do with Joseph? You don't really have a choice. He has a contract for one more season, and then the team has an option for the season after that. So really, the only thing you can do is try to trade him or maybe extend the contract and turn it into a TAM deal. And I don't know why Joseph would give up that money, but we'll see. Then, you know, the problem with trying to trade him is he is a DP, so you'd have to find a team with a DP slot. There are a lot of teams with a lot of DP slots, But they're going to look at Joseph for the past two years and say, why are we going to pay DP money when the production has not been consistent? Here's the second question from Austin. Looking back at this team and the way that it was structured in the beginning, you know, we were really taking the lead to the next level. And since 2017, it truly feels like the league has caught up um, with spending around the league on, on talented, proven players, um, and the way the cash is being splashed. 
you know, getting European players like Bernadeschi, like Insigne, um, but also really good pickups with Tam, like, for example, with, with Rebels and uh, Lewis Morgan. Um, would like to get your feedback on whether, you know, Atlanta United just has not caught up or if if it's just a matter of making bad decisions in the transfer market. Thanks again, Doug. Yeah, that, that's another interesting point. Atlanta United has, it has a philosophy of buying the young players, developing the young players, and selling the young players. And that's a great philosophy. That's what Darren Eels did at Tottenham. Of course, Darren Eels is no longer president, but Steve Cannon has said this is going to be what the team continues to do. The problem for the team is right now, none of these players are being developed, or at least developed to the point that they could be sold for a profit to anyone. Yeah, we can go through the list. Santiago Sosa, Franco Abara, nice players. Ronald Hernandez, nice player. Rocco Rios Novo, nice player. Emerson Hyman, nice player. But they're not being impactful enough that the team would be able to, un- to sell them for a profit or even for break-even, I think, at this point, to other teams. Now, a lot of these players have been hampered by injuries, and that affects them in a lot of ways that we can't even know because sometimes it's confidence and, and mental and, and sometimes it's physical and it's regaining confidence in your physicality. But other teams are doing things. Uh, Toronto spending a lot of money to bring in Italian nationals that they won't be able to sell for a profit. But the cost to them is a lot more than the cost to Atlanta United for the moves it makes. LAFC is doing a great job bringing in guys like Gareth Bell on a TAM deal of all things. Miami getting Alejandro Pozuelo for practically nothing. Cincinnati getting Matt Miazga for practically nothing. Atlanta United needs to sign some guys with some experience, some guys that know it's time to fight. I don't think there's enough healthy guys on the roster right now to do that. All right, we're going to go to Caleb, who asks if there's a different position for Joseph. What do you think about maybe Joseph Martinez playing in a different um, position? Because clearly um, he's not really – he doesn't seem to want to play the role of the striker. He's wanting to dish the passes out. So maybe instead of Joseph Martinez as the lead striker and then um, Cisneros out on the wing. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, with the wingers, you've got to have speed. And I don't think Joseph has that um, right now. So it's a nice idea, but I don't see any other position uh, for Joseph to play right now. Um, we're going to go to Caleb's next question about selling players and bringing in some new ones. We all keep talking about um, like how changes are going to be need to be made in the off season. How much of that do you think is we need to sell players and bring in some um, new guys, maybe on the back line, maybe even um, in the attack, or maybe is there something that the the staff and the players need to do in the off season to gel more and work on that chemistry to where uh, like Moreno or Arujo can feel comfortable, you know, not taking the ball for themselves and dribbling into traffic. It's another interesting question. It's one that I've gotten a lot 
uh, after this game about what players should be removed, what players should be kept, etc. If you make wholesale changes to the roster, you're basically starting over again next year. You're trying to build chemistry. You're trying to build cohesion. You're trying to build confidence. And, and that's how you get results. I think that there are certain players that probably do need to be moved out, certain players that need to come in. And I'm going to get into that into this next question from Rob. Hey, Doug. I was curious what your thoughts are. If you could remove three players from this year's squad for next year's team, who would you remove? That's a really good question. Remove three players from the squad. Well, you've got to remove Barco because he's a DP and he's on loan. So he needs to he needs to go. I think you do need to approach Joseph and ask if he'd be willing to be traded and then try to bring in a lead striker, an established proven striker, which is going to cost money, a lot of money. But Atlanta United has got to find a bell cow, so to speak, right now to score goals. So that's Barco. That's Martinez. You've got a glut of central midfielders who, to me, all have the same type of skill set. So one of those guys has got to go. Um, I, it doesn't matter to me who. But you need to bring in somebody who's a little more experienced, who understands the position of defensive midfielder a little bit more to protect the back line. That's what I would do. All right, coffee sip, and we're going to switch to email. All right, email questions from David starts us off. Dwyer and Cisneros appear to have more passion and commitment than Joseph, as evidenced by their work rate and results. It seems Pineda doesn't want to upset the fans by not playing Joseph, but based on the standings, we can't afford to effectively play down a man with Joseph on the pitch. Is Pineda waiting for fans to call to replace or sit Joseph to avoid upsetting fans? I, I don't agree with this statement. Uh, Joseph came off the bench in the previous two games, so it's obvious that Pineda doesn't have a problem benching him. You'll remember he benched him for, I think it was three, two or three consecutive games after the Austin match. He's just trying to put out what he thinks is the best lineup against the opponent. And as you heard him earlier, he still believes in Joseph. Joseph did score a goal last night. Um, and maybe that's going to be the confidence boost he needs, and he'll go on a run that can carry Atlanta United into the playoffs. David's second question. I'm glad Joseph got his 100th goal, but his overall contributions have been lacking in recent weeks. That was his first goal in eight games, including Wednesday, by the way. It seems like he still has the ability to create chances, but is often muscled off the ball and lacks quickness. Do you think Joseph could pivot into a midfield role similar to what Nagby did later in his career? No, Nagby was never a striker. Um, th that This is not Joseph's strength. He is a goal scorer who has lost his form and is trying to get it back. Um, now, continuing with another email, it seems Gutman, our left back, is the only player driving inside the box, creating big chances and goals. United is incredibly predictable. They drive hard down the flanks and send a blind cross into what should be a dangerous area, only there's no one making the run to get on the end of it. That happened early in the first half when... Um, it was on the left side. I think it was Caleb Wiley put in a cross, and there was nobody there. It came right across. It was a Julian Gressel-type cross, but there was nobody there. 
He continues, it's not entertaining or attractive football as it rarely results in a goal. Long gone are the days where Gressel would drop a dime to a sprinting Joseph. Why are United attackers so reluctant to move and directly attack inside the 18? This has been another point Pineda has made time and time again about trying to get more numbers into the box. You saw it a little bit against Cincinnati. Uh, you you saw it a little bit last night, but it's just not consistent. Uh, I don't know why, um, but it keeps happening. I don't know if it's the ball is outpacing the players. I don't think that's it. If it's players are standing and watching other teammates dribble, I don't know. If players have made runs and not gotten the ball, so they just stopped making the runs, I don't know what the reason is. Continues, while this may be a controversial position, I think Pineda is a really good coach and a good fit for Atlanta. I do believe the number and severity of injuries made the probability of success highly unlikely this year. I agree with that to a, to a degree. Do you think we have enough committed and skilled players in key positions to be much more successful next year, assuming most get and stay healthy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this team does have a lot of talent. I think it needs some tweaking. Uh, I think it needs to add some different skills into the roster that currently aren't there. Player, uh, The emailer says, I'm still rooting for the team, and I truly hope they will return to winning ways again soon. Thanks again for the insightful analysis and entertaining coverage. We are very welcome. I appreciate it. Ben in Philly, coffee sip, asked a few questions. Tonight was another poor performance on many levels. I really can't buy that the injuries are the team's underlying issue because the team was allowing dumb goals before any injuries on the back line. After the goals, Red Bulls continued to press, leaving space for Atlanta to play, and Pineda's tactics could not take advantage of the situation. I think he needs some time in a lower division. The roster is constructed of slow players that can't effectively create space or play into space. Also, many players on the team have a poor first touch that make Jossie's artists look world-class and causes them to not be able to play in tight spaces. I'm not sure how many more matches I can watch this season. The soccer is bad, and with a healthy roster, I do not think Pineda is ready to be a coach at this level. I typically look forward to watching the team when they play in Philly, but it is going to be hard to watch. AMBSE, that's Arthur and Blank Sports and Entertainment, has to get the president higher right and do it before the offseason starts because a bad start to next season will put the team into D.C. United and Galaxy territory. So apparently uh, the team or the franchise has hired a search firm. I've asked a few times and was told we're probably not going to tell you when we hire a search firm, which doesn't make any sense to me for an organization that says it prides itself on transparency. But someone at Georgia was talking to Steve Cannon and Cannon told him they do have a search firm hired and hope to make a hire by October or November. So there's an update on that. Adam, friend of the podcast, says, first off, credit due to Red Bulls for running their butts off tonight. That's what they do. At times, it looked like 11 versus 12 out there. I don't respect their overt physical play, but they were clearly the better side tonight. Why, oh why, was the ref allowing them, however, to get away with such blatant time-wasting? This was a sad advertisement for MLS, I fear. The players were warned. I, you could see the referees waving to the players, get going, get going, get going. There were yellow cards issued. So there's only, I mean, the refs were doing their job. Adam continues, given how Red Bulls outshot Atlanta despite only 27% possession, is it time for Atlanta to consider playing a pure counterattacking style? Maybe letting the opponent creep forward will create more space for Joseph and Arahuju to make their favorite breakaways while also giving the defense extra cover. 
It may not be what fans call sexy, but if it yields a better result against the likes of Red Bulls in Austin, I'd say it's worth it. But then again, I'm already focusing on 2023. Those who subscribe and listen to this podcast regularly know that I have called for this for weeks now. Most Atlanta United goals, not all, most happen in broken plays when the team is allowed to counterattack and can take advantage of the players' just natural abilities, natural instincts, natural skills. This has been this way since Tata was coach. It wasn't exciting attacking style of play, but it was a counterattacking, lightning fast style of play. That's what Tata did. That switched under DeBoer, under Heinze, and under Pineda to a more ball control type attacking style of play. But Atlanta United has shown time and time and time again it cannot create the quality chances enough to score and win games. Maybe when the team gets healthy, they can. I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's it's bizarre. And then Adam ends, lastly, because I have such little to add tonight, what more fitting statement on the season than for Joseph to score a special goal only to have it come as an afterthought to an otherwise forgettable display. I will always cherish his contributions to the club, but I don't see him ever recapturing his form. And at this point, I dare say he's a liability on the pitch. He's not effective enough as a poacher or shooter to warrant a threat, and he's not dynamic enough to play a different role. Defenses know how to manage him, and Atlanta hasn't yet figured out a plan B for using him. As with all athletes, eventually, it's time to move on. That's Adam's take on Joseph. I've shared my take on that and the scenarios that Atlanta United could pursue. I think if Joseph can get a good offseason, he can come back, and I think he could be a much better player, but you know, that's that, that's trying to, to forecast, that's trying to predict. Noah says, no fight, no passion, only 18 minutes of good play, but then it's too late. What does it take for the media to finally call for Pineda's exit? Is it complacent with mediocrity? I've asked this time over time, and there's never been a clear answer. If it will be answered, I will stop asking. Is the media paid to report only that it's the player's fault? It's not that hard of a concept to understand. Never have I heard a reporter this year say it's on the coach. It's only ever the excuse he hasn't had a healthy squad. I say enough is enough. Pineda has not won over these players. These things do not happen when you believe in your coach and culture. And that's the same for every single sport. So please defend this statement and give a definitive answer. All right, Noah, I will try. First off, it's not the beat reporter's job to call for a coach's termination. That's the job of a columnist. I am not a columnist. I'm a beat reporter. I can give my take on a lot of things, but I'm not going to give my take on something as important as a coach should be fired. I don't think Pineda has lost the team. You talk to the players afterward, they talk about they like the tactics, they just execute the tactics. They like the coach. They like his ideas most of the time, but right now it's on them. I think that it is unfair to say that injuries aren't an excuse. When you've lost as many players as the team has, it's not an excuse. It's a fact. The team has lost its entire spine. Brad Guzan, Miles Robinson, Ozzy Alonzo, Emerson Hyman, Joseph Martinez. You go right up the middle of the field. The spine is gone. Any team in any sport, if you don't have a good catcher, you don't have a good pitcher, you don't have a good shortstop, you don't have a good second baseman, don't have a good center fielder, you're going to lose. Football, you don't have a good running back, don't have a good quarterback, don't have a good center, don't have a good nose tackle, don't have a good middle linebacker, don't have a good safety, you're going to lose. 
It happens in every sport. And Atlanta United has been hurt by that this year. Now, should they be scoring more goals? Yes, they should be scoring more goals. Should the defense stop allowing goals on set pieces? Yeah, they should. But a lot of these guys aren't first-choice players. You look at the back back six last night that started the game. Rocco Rios Novo wasn't on the roster at the beginning of the season. Juanjo Parada wasn't on the roster at the beginning of the season. Caleb Wiley, 17-year-old homegrown, wasn't supposed to be playing this much. Ronald Hernandez was supposed to be a backup. These are your starters. Mistakes are going to happen. Pat says, just like Seattle not stepping to Gutman, I felt Hernandez went defensive too early and did not step and pressure on the first goal. You are 100% correct. I'm glad Joseph got his 100th, but overall I feel he is waiting on the perfect pass instead of making the run and letting the players find him. I coach my players to play the ball where you want the player to be, and tonight there were multiple near-post crosses that Joseph never even attempted to make a run for. Frustrating and all, at least the team needs to finish strong to build for next year. All right. I'm going to take a coffee sip and go to Rob. Who says, why are we celebrating Joseph scoring 100 goals again? Stoked for him, but he already scored 100 on a PK versus Miami last season. That was his 100th goal across all competitions. Last night was 100th goal in MLS regular season and playoff games. If you could remove three players from this year's squad when building next year's squad, who would you remove? Rob says his would be Moreno, Huzetu, and Franco. I've already covered this topic in an earlier question. But, uh, you know, those are interesting choices also, Rob. Now, moving to Twitter. I told you this was a long podcast. David says, do you feel like having Almada, Moreno, and Araujo on the field at the same time is like having three-point guards in a basketball game? They all do the same thing and makes us one-dimensional. Love the podcast. Well, thanks, David. I do agree with you a little bit on that. Um, I think Moreno and and Araujo will go through spells where they're trying to do too much by themselves. I've I've shared Moreno is so one-footed. His right foot, you know exactly where he's going to go with the ball every time he gets it. Araujo has a tendency to try to dribble into too many players and seldom actually makes it through. So it's it's a little bit of a problem that Pineda has to either coach them out of or something. Nick says, two questions for me. Who, what players do you consider indispensable for the 2023 team? Coffee sip. Thanks, Nick. And is it time for us to start writing our eulogies on the season? Thank you. Uh, players I consider indispensable for the 2023 team. Uh, Tiago Almada. Uh, Caleb Wiley. George Campbell, Andrew Gutman. If they can get Juanjo Prada, I think he's going to be good. He's still on loan from Tigris. And that's about it. And if the team doesn't get three points against Columbus and doesn't get some luck with the other results, yeah, I think the season's done. Lama Rama says, so this team probably needs a rebuild. Who do you think is safe and who do you think is out next season? And is there any player in particular you think we should be going for? Uh, I've covered some of that. A player in particular the team should be going for? That's a really good question. It needs, I I think it needs a player like a Mark Anthony Kay from Toronto, just a tough son of a gun who's going to control the middle of the pitch, 
understands the role, understands the zones he's marking, and drop him into the lineup. I think that would be a really good get for Atlanta United. Doug, a different Doug, says, how many points will Atlanta United end up at season's end? That's a fascinating question. The team currently has 29 with nine games remaining. At its current pace, I think it's probably only going to win three more games, maybe draw two. So that's eight more points. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I can't do math. That's 11 more points. So it will end with 40 and will not make the playoffs. Hudson says, not really a question, but how can you have one of the highest wage bills in MLS and supposedly try and play an entertaining, high-energy attacking football but can't score goals? Yeah, it's a team that's built to attack, but it can't score goals. That's the easiest way to describe it. It's just weird to me. Hopefully it can be fixed with people coming back from injuries. Yeah. Um, Another thing that the team needs, it needs a tall striker, not an Adam John but it needs a guy that can win these crosses that are that keep getting put into the box time after time after time after time. I don't know who that is other than, you know, like a Brandon Vasquez, but Cincinnati has not given him up. Kevin says, these are the Atlanta United players I would move off the roster prior to the 2023 season. Mikey Ambrose, whose contract is up, so he's likely gone anyway. Luis Arahujo and bring in a new DP. Barco, another loan. Alex DeJohn, give the spot to Noah Cobb. Alan Franco, give the spot to Campbell. Ronald Hernandez can find the same for less money. Franco Albara can find the same for less money. Brooks Lennon, bring in new signings plus McFadden. Eric Lopez, oh yeah, that's another one. He's going to be off the books next year. He's on loan. Joseph Martinez, think it has to be done, but it can't because he has a contract. Marcelino Moreno, doesn't work with Almada. I can see the team making that move. Mateus Huzetu can find the same for less money. All right. I don't disagree with any of those except for Joseph, only because of the contract situation. And our last question comes from friend of mine, friend of the podcast, and former coworker Chris, who says, "Hey Doug, so much talent, so little success. Atlanta was outplayed, and I would say outcoached in the first half. I am doubting that Gonzo has what it takes. Can you name any examples of Gonzo's changes in a game or strategies and player usage overall?" that indicates he is a top-flight coach. Off the top of my head, I do remember one game he all he put subs in and they all impacted the game. It was recent. It may have been Cincinnati. Um, but it's tough right now. He, You look at the, the roster, you look at the subs on the bench. If he puts an attacking lineup out, he really doesn't have anyone on the bench who can come and make an impact. You got Mosquera, who I've given you my thoughts on Mosquera. I think he's a you know a nice player, but statistically, at his previous teams, he, he had only four assists and fifty six appearances. I think or six assists and fifty four appearances. He's not going to make it. He's got speed, but he has never proven that he could put in a ball that a teammate is going to score from. It's it's uh, I didn't understand the signing then. I don't understand it now. I don't understand why they used a U twenty two slot on him. I don't understand the money they paid for him. But just you know, I understand the frustration with Pineda. I would say just give him a little bit more time. Give him a roster that the core can stay healthy, that he can learn what they have and he can figure out how to best use them and and all that. Do I I've shared? I don't agree with this ball control style of play right now. I don't think that Atlanta United can execute it. 
I think we've seen that this season. They can't execute it, at least the players, the healthy players that he has. I think he should change the tactics to fit the personnel, but I'm not the coach, and he knows a lot more about soccer than I do. All right, we're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. We'll have another podcast on Friday. Y'all take care. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.